Welcome everybody back to Dr. Skeleton's Art School. The Lord of the Rings series continues. Dudes posting their elves online. It is our 200th episode as well. Uh, we made it to the big 200. Um, nice. Yes. Midway through our Lord of the Rings series, I guess. We're watching, or we watched Return of the King, and we're going to be talking about it today. As always, you can find part two of our discussions over on patreon.com slash drskeleton um, because these movies are long as hell and our regularly scheduled premium episodes that we usually do every single week have been also subsumed into this larger project. So uh, yeah, 200 episodes, Ben. Congratulations to you and me on that. Yeah, nice. Congratulations to you and me too. Uh, I Here finally figured out what that music is, by the way. That's now I know that it's actually from Lord of the Rings. I thought you made yes. that song as well. Similar. I mean, it is. It is a. It. Is, I did. You I did. did. I've transcribed. But the, but the yeah. beginning part. Oh, I see. Okay, the beginning part's mm-hmm. a Lord of the Rings theme, though, right? Sort of. Yes. One of the themes. Um, the Bridge of Khazad Doom. Yeah, I think it's mostly just Fellowship of the Ring where that's in there. Oh, but okay. I think it pops up in the other movies. I think it was in this as well. This one because it, I was like, oh dang, I've heard that song before from our podcast when I was watching this this movie. <laughs> it's sort of a little bit of the, was... the Daft Punk situation. Listening to Daft Punk, yeah. <laughs> dang. Oh, Will, hey, I heard this song before. Will oh, made that. <laughs> yeah, Will made this song. Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, shout out to who? Who did the music for this thing? Howard Shore. Oh, okay. The absolute man. Yeah. Howie, Howie, as I call him. <laughs> this is how I win. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, I, 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 I like the score. As we're both, we're both uh, brass alum, um, and yep. so we, I don't know. I like a, a heavy brassy score, and that's exactly what Howie served us up. A yep. lot of little low, low brass, high brass. Strings taking a back seat, woodwinds taking a back seat as they should. There's a lot of choir as well. In this one, there was choir, which threw me off. I don't think I noticed it in the other ones. I was like, choir, what the heck is this? Who is this, Beyonce or something? <laughs> what is this, a voice? <laughs> it caught me. Near- of somebody singing? Damn, is this Beyonce? Are you, you humming a tune? Is that Beyonce? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's like a song, uh, like in Billy the, Beyonce Boyd near, singing in the halls of Gondor over here. Yeah, yeah. Near the well, yeah. That was part of it too. Near the end of this movie, there was like this, uh, you know, m- score part. There was a score part, and it was like some, I don't know, ethereal voice. And I was, I was straight up. I was like, seriously, first thing that came to mind I was like, this is like a Beyonce like this is like a pop artist or something what the heck is this this doesn't make yeah, sense yeah they did get who is it though um it's uh Shakira is it Shakira <laughs> no I don't know is it really a famous person well the so they're, they're they they end each um movie with like a I think in in each movie there's like a Howard Shore featuring some vocalist um David Guetta <laughs> Uh, and like Gollum's song, which is the end of Two Towers, is Emiliana Torini, who Zoe knew, mm. um, from the like Jungle Drum song. Hey, I'm in love. Yeah, I don't know. That's Maybe Gollum's song, or that's, that's the person who did the Gollum song. Well, that's song? that's the uh, that's like the well their their highest played track, I guess. Okay. But Zoe knew that one. Nice. Um, that is not Gollum's song. That would be a good Gollum <laughs> song. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, and let's see, Return of the King. How do they end this one? We got we got a uh, Annie Lennox. Oh, Saint Vincent. Oh, is that who that is? Yep. Nice. Was that correct? I don't know. Oh. Wait. She really... I thought St. Vincent was younger. Did you just look up a Wikipedia page? No. Oh. I'm looking at a Spotify bio. Um, I'm not... Now I'm doing this. I don't think she's... I don't think... No. She's not St. Vincent. Oh. 
maybe Annie Clark. Oh, is. Sweet dreams are made of this. That's that Annie Lin. That's that one. That yes. Annie Linux. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, Saint Vincent is Annie Clark. Oh, it's Marilyn Manson. Yeah, that one. What? No, I'm confused. The Marilyn Annie- Manson's "Sweet Dreams" song that only new 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 metal dudes heads know about. Yeah. Um. Well, here we are talking about that. But this, but yeah, there's there was a lot of singing in this one. Uh, we got a Billy Boyd track. We got a Viggo Mortensen track. They both sang. They both they both wrote their own tunes, I guess. Oh, nice. Um, I would love to write my own song if I was in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I would do spaghetti western style. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Just vocalizing a thing. <laughs> yeah. It's the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. No, I would do Tarantino. Tarantino. Yeah. It, it, Inicio Morricone or whatever, like that kind of mm-hmm. some something like that, like a little poppy. Oh, but I'm just a I'm just a Hobbit on the screen. I'm the I'm the Samwise's wife. That's who they play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently the the like the younger cast members went out to karaoke. Um. One night with, and one of the producers, Fran Walsh, went with and noticed that Billy Boyd had a really good singing voice, and so he got to do a song. Who's Billy Boyd? Uh, Pimley. Oh, oh, Pippin. Yeah, that's why he sang that song at yeah, the, the end. That also, sang, yeah, also threw me off. What the heck is this? Is this, is this, is this Beyonce? Beyonce? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Let's. Well, hmm. what did you think of the movie? Yeah, it was pretty good. I was pretty impression. sad at the end. I gotta say, Shelly noticed I was down. I was. I had the a little bit of Avatar syndrome, you might say. Oh, you wanted to live in the world, <laughs> and you didn't. No, not necessarily live in the world. I wanted to be them. I wanted to be those characters. Which character did you? All want to be? of the. I wanted to be Sam. I want to be yeah. Sam. I gotta say, he's the best character. Once I got to the end, I was Absolutely. like, "Absolutely, sucks." I don't understand what else happened to anybody else, but I was like, "Sam, yeah, definitely the best character." Also, it brought back to memory the fact that, oh, now I know what was happening when I was in, in like uh, elementary school as a kid, and everybody else had cool parents that let them go see Lord of the Rings, and I didn't see Lord of the Rings, and then they were all like, you know, doing pretend time at, at uh, all the cool kids were doing pretend recess. time Lord of the Rings at recess, and they were like, oh, I'm Sam, and you're Frodo, and that kind of stuff, and I was like, it always seemed like the coolest person was Sam, and now I see why. <laughs> yes why did they choose why do they want to be hobbits like in third grade i'm like i'm gandalf dude like i'm oh Gan- I'm, yeah now i didn't get a play because i didn't i didn't really get to follow because i hadn't seen the movie yeah. so i had no idea what was going on so i didn't get yeah. to play that that never stopped me because i remember kids doing that with star wars and then i would like join in but have no fucking idea about yeah. like what anything in star wars was and so and somebody like called me on it once like well have you seen star wars and i said <laughs> And I and and I and I quickly pulled out. Yes, Darth Vader ship. This is what I said. <laughs> they're like, all right, this guy, this guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Continue nice. on with whatever you were doing. Yeah, they played Star Wars at recess too. I didn't know that one. The other one that they did was Titanic, another what? movie I hadn't seen. <laughs> they played Titanic. <laughs> they played. They played a little bit of fanfic Titanic, where instead of an iceberg, there was a killer whale. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen Titanic, but I don't know if I understand it to be something that lends itself to a bunch of third graders being like, oh, I love this, like, No, they played Titanic romance. It's definitely second grade. It was in the ele- basic elementary school, K-, K-, K through two school. Gotcha. The the first floor of the building. Yeah. 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 So hmm. there was Jack, and then nobody else seemed to know any of the other characters. It was just Jack and a bunch of background characters, and then the killer whale. <laughs> awesome. Jack had to save. That's a wild movie to pretend from... to act out. <laughs> yeah. Who the heck let their kids see Titanic as a little kid? I wasn't allowed to see Titanic until I was eighteen. <laughs> what? I don't think I ever saw the Titanic until I was. Probably 18. And I don't think I've even seen all of Titanic. I've just seen the end. 
was this like a you just happened to not see it or this is like a Ben, we forbid you from seeing... Nah, I just happen to not see it like movies. everything else. Yeah. I only saw James Bond, which would have made me a cool kid if other people... If like one other kid's parents Playing let them James see... Playing James Bond would be a... Yeah. Yeah, but I had cool enough parents who let me watch James Bond or like got me into James Bond. It would Bond. be funny if they... Nobody else knew they, about They let it. you watch James Bond but forbade you from seeing Titanic or Lord <laughs> of the Rings. I don't think it was like a an allowing... I feel like James Bond is much Cooler. i mean yeah but also yeah. like if you're worried about i don't know gratuitous sex and violence like yeah james bond is gonna have it worse than star wars mm. that's my take yeah you're debating so. you're debating your parents i guess i wrote a, I, I remember i debated my friend ted's parents about letting him read the golden compass <laughs> oh nice yeah i, I got i got one of my siblings the golden compass movie for Christmas one time, and my I remember my mom said that doesn't seem quite right for a Christmas gift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Let's anyway, watch Lord of the Rings. Watch That's it. what yeah, I wanted to be. It. Yeah, as an adult. Yeah, I, I I agree. Sam is fantastic character. Um, I do. I wouldn't say that everybody else sucks, but uh, I think that yeah, he's he's the man. Okay. Um, and so. On that note, the uh, the Adam Sandler movie pairing this week to The Return of the King is Fifty uh, First Dates. I mean, I watched that last night. Um, really awful movie all the way through. Uh, uh, Sean Astin is in it though, and uh, he he's a big work workout guy. He's like jacked or something, and um, that's his that's his his thing. Oh, and he also has a lisp. That's that's mm. it. that's his other thing. Yeah, um, very funny to go from Lord of the Rings, like this the, this greatest cinematic accomplishment, and then like show up like the next year in that garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would say so. I would say it also works to pair this move, Fifty uh, First Dates, with Return of the King because Fifty First Dates, um, of course, the conceit is that Drew Barrymore. Has lost her memory or something, and relives the same day over and over again. And so there is uh, many, many, many dozens and dozens and fifty beginnings to this, mm. to her, to her day. And uh, Lord of the Rings: Return of the King, of course, has about fifty endings. Yeah. Um, and so that would be the pairing. And so we'll get to, we'll talk about the ending when it comes there, when I, when, it, when the time is right. So let's just. Uh, so I watch both. The theatrical cut and the extended edition of this, which is, which is the closest call yet, because the uh, theatrical cut is already three and a half hours long, and the extended edition is four hours and twenty three minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly watching a lot of lo- of this movie this week, um, and we have to have a conversation about theatrical versus extended cut, and I think we should do that here. There's discussion. So I assume you also watched the extended cut, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, I think I think we would be remiss if we didn't at least touch on this about like what why we're why we would choose the extended cut versus theatrical cut or like what that means. Um, it's hard to like what is like the definitive version of the movie. What what are we going for? What are we trying to get with that? Are we going for uh, like fulfilling the artist's vision? Like are we trying to fulfill like exactly what Peter Jackson wanted? And then, so that's why we go for the extended. Like, is is more automatically better? Um, why would we pick this over another? And um, having seen each version back to back, I think that I am better prepared to opine on some of these because I don't know. Like, I I don't think that more is automatically better. I don't think that the extended editions um, automatically make these better movies. I think that there's some. Okay, I'll I'll give it a quick summary of my my takes here. I think that the the Two Towers extended edition is a better movie than the Two Towers theatrical cut. The longer version of Two Towers is better than the shorter version. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the Fellowship of the Ring, the theatrical cut, is better than the extended version. Um, even though there are some good scenes that are cut, I think that the pacing is a lot tighter throughout Fellowship anyway, and the extended extended cut um 
dings that a little bit. And then the Return of the King is kind of in the in between those two. I think that uh, in the back half of the movie, especially, it gets kind of bloated. Like there's there's like extra scenes for no reason in Return of the King. Um, and but in the first half, like for example, you do not see Saruman at all in the theatrical cut. Like mm. you, uh, you don't have that confrontation with him on the tower at the beginning of the movie or anything. You don't see his death. Um, you don't even you don't see why Pippin finds the finds the Palantir or anything. And I think that that part is kind of important. Um, mm. and so like it kind of cuts some important things, but also adds some other things. Uh, I think that the way to approach this would be what is the best movie? And I think that having a theatrical cut, like pressure to, um trim down your runtime often helps the quality of a movie um because i think pacing is probably one of the most important parts of uh an edit where like if you just have like no restrictions on runtime and whatever um it kind of hurts the quality of the movie overall and it's a kind of a tricky one too because the so you're adapting source material anyway and so if you get unlimited runtime, you could just like you could eventually do like a one to one translation, but that doesn't necessarily make a good movie. Hmm. Um, and I think that you start getting into dangerous splitting the difference territory if you just keep extending, extending, extending. That said, I'm glad I did watch each version back to back to see what the differences were, and then be able to like it. Like some scenes do provide better context than others. Um, they and it was cool to see actually the extended versions because you could think back to the theatrical cut and be like, oh, that was actually a really clever cut that they did to get around this whole extra scene mm. um, that they 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 communicated because like oftentimes and I think especially in Return of the King that the extra scenes that they added um, were everything was accomplished in the theatrical cut um, and the extended cut it is just like reiterating things like for example there is an extra scene with the Rohirrim when Eowyn um, is talking to Eomer about like why couldn't why can't Mary fight for uh, her people for his people I and and you basically get the idea that like she's talking about herself like uh, she wants to fight and people are telling her to stop stay back because she's a woman and you get a short conversation with uh uh, Carl Carl Urban about that, and he and and you just kind of leave it there. At, after she says like, why sh- why does he have any less reason to fight than anybody else? And then you cut, and you just basically know like, oh, she's talking about herself there. But in the extended version, you get like a longer argument where he explicitly stands up and he's like, woman, war is a man's man's place, and I'm just gonna keep like driving this point home. And it just kind of like, yeah, you get that like that's that is the point of it. Um, and you get like her doing like an eye twitch type thing. It just, it, I don't know. It just spells things out a little bit more and, I th- and, uh, cutting it often, I think, I don't know. You already got the, the, the idea and it's less heavy handed, mm. um, in the theatrical cut. And you don't get that whole dumb orc scene with Frodo and Sam joining the orcs at the end of the movie. Oh yeah. Um, which was but dumb. how much of that is from the, the book though? Cause this is a case where you got a, you've got a book. Yeah. That kind of plays yeah, and, into the differences as well. Yeah, and and so there's, like, should you be appealing to that? Well, necessarily. I just mean, I mean, from different viewers' perspectives, I guess mm-hmm. that that's a big, you know, are you trying to watch? Are you interested in? I mean, I don't know if you're like a big fan of the movie or the big fan of the book, and you're you just want as watching, much of the book in it as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I guess you can, yeah, you can you can go into it with that expectation and desire, and that's. I guess there's nothing wrong with that, but I would, my opinion would be that like, I think the move, a, a movie is such a necessarily an inherently different medium that like, I don't know, you can, see, it's, 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 it's a, it's a line to write because you're adapting it in the first, so obviously there's going to be stuff you take from the books, but then there has to be stuff that you change. Like for example, like Aragorn apparently was always supposed to carry the broken sword always, and he was fighting with a broken sword the whole time. Mm-hmm but it just doesn't work on screen because it looks stupid. Um, it works way better in um, in print, and it works nicely in print where you're like, he's like kicking ass with a broken sword constantly and then finally gets reforged and he becomes his his uh, full self. 
but then like on screen it just doesn't work as well Hmm. um and so you just have to make some things different in the first place and i don't know i guess my position would just be like uh, you you have your you're you're taking creative liberties your 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 best serving like the well yeah he, yeah i guess it comes down to a difference in philosophy of like are you um what are you trying to do are you trying to like do honor the books as best you can or are you trying to make the best movie you can with that as the source material yeah and um i think that these from what I understand, these movies actually do a really good job of both for the most part. Um, I think it's a really tricky line to walk, but I think that they were able to be very faithful um, and, and as we've discussed, sometimes to a fault, um, but also be like the, the, the creative decisions that they make that are different from the books end up improving the, the overall quality of the films. I mean, I feel like the extra stuff sometimes is just a bit of fan service though too yeah right where it's like yeah mm-hmm. this is a good it's a good movie what if when i get this on dvd later on there's a little bit more yeah absolutely and it doesn't belong to the fans um doesn't i mean i don't know when you when you when you let fans run something you get different problems with with, with things um and so yeah i don't know i think i'll be watching the, the theatrical cuts of the hobbits hobbit oh, okay that reason i'll probably watch whatever is at the top of the list of the website (laughs) where i will be downloading it yeah (laughs) and then on the first one and then i'll probably stick to that for the second one too are those even longer are they going to be even longer now dude i don't know it's it's been working out it's definitely taken up a bunch of my weekend but i've been doing it in pretty much like one day i didn't do it in one sitting this time i did it in two sittings i got a little more than halfway through and then i wrapped up the end yeah, that's impressive. That's you'd probably have a better feel for the pacing when you do it in a few settings. We had to do like hour a night on average, I think, to get through mm. um, both versions. All right, so uh, extended preamble here, but let's talk about. Let's just go through the synopsis here. Uh, in the opening scene, a flashback: two hobbits, Smeagol and his friend Deagle, are fishing in the river Anduin near the Gladden Fields in the north of Middle Earth. Deagle is dragged into the river by a powerful catch and discovers the one ring glinting in the riverbed. He collects it and climbs out of the water. Smeagol sees him fondling it, and they both succumb to the ring's power and they begin to quarrel. Smeagol demands the ring, saying that it's his birthday and that it should be his present. The squabble then turns into a fight. Smeagol strangles his friend with his bare hands and pries the ring from Deagle's clenched fist. Smeagol is ostracized. What? So he kills Deagle and takes the ring, and then he like re- retreats into the caves. And you see him transform into Gollum. Yeah. So, are they lovers? I didn't really get that. What's the deal there? I think they're. I I I thought they were just friends, but maybe that maybe they were. Oh, okay. Um, I, I didn't really get that part. Hobbits are close. Hobbits are are, are close, but maybe I mean maybe they all Wait, are. Are they hobbits? Lovers. They're just ugly hobbits. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think so hobbit like okay. things. So. We yeah so we get to see, importantly the important part of this scene is that we, this is a flashback and we get to see Gollum before he was Gollum back when he was still Smeagol, yep. and and we get an important re- revelation is that Smeagol was always weird like I when you watch the movies you kind of think that Gollum like uh, the ring turned him into like this guy who speaks in the third person and yeah. and says like I'm I'm Gollum I'm Smeagol yeah. and but no he always fucking talked like that. Yeah. And so there's like, I don't know. You, my my first instinct was like, Andy Circus should have just been more normal at first, and then you can see that the effects of the ring caused. But the, but the other side of the coin, I guess, is that I don't want to say this sensitively, but like, the ring, maybe there, there's like a darker version of this where the ring kind of takes advantage of this guy with a mental disability, and is more tragic, but le- less climate like less kind of more anticlimactic from the power of the ring, I guess. Like, he was always like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just kind of, it just, he just kind of turned, and then it just affected his physical appearance, but it otherwise normal, or like, yeah. that was how he was already. Sam puts on the ring at the end, and he's just like, what the heck, you guys, you guys have been faking this the whole time. Yeah. This, <laughs> this is doing nothing this to me. This is, uh, yeah, all right, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you guys are just like allergic to the metal or something. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's kind of weird. Just like, yeah, okay. I guess Gollum was always like that. Interesting. Um, so in the present, flash forward, on the outskirts of outskirts of Mordor, Frodo and Sam are resting Wait, in an alcove. So I gotta say one more thing. Just yeah. To call back to last week. I just gotta call him Smeagol and Deagle, dude. Another example of like. But you came up with you could come up with like 10, <laughs> 10 unique types of names in this movie, and then you just like, yeah, this one's Aragon and this one's Aragorn and this one's El Elagon or whatever. And then okay, yeah, we got hobbits. Okay, yeah, Smeagol. And what's the other one's name? Uh, Deagle. Yeah, Deagle is, uh, is a very funny. Meagle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, isn't a Deagle a type of dog too? Are you thinking of Beagle? No, but a Beagle is like a. It's a deagle is like a, a something with a D and a beagle. Oh, probably. Cross between a dog and a beagle. <laughs> dog and a beagle, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so if Frodo and Sam are resting in an alcove, Sam awakens and sees that his master has not slept. His master, man, the thing, it's still here throughout this whole thing, the master stuff. Uh, I think it's weird that the person writing that, I've come, that. Around yeah. on, I've come around on it that I think it's an important, that I... That I think from a story perspective it's much more interesting that way but it is weird to say it as the person writing the cliff notes for it yeah yeah that's true <laughs> I, I agree with that yeah the days are growing darker the closer they get to Minas Morgul and Mordor Gollum arrives and urges them to move on um yeah so away in the west Aragorn Legolas Gimli Gandalf Theoden Aomer ride through the forest of Fangorn to Isengard, where they meet Merry and Pippin feasting among the wreckage, um, where they say, salted pork is particularly delicious. They find Treebeard at the Tower of Orthanc in the center of Isengard. So I always thought the tower itself was Isengard. I guess Isengard is like the region, and then Orthanc is the tower. Um, so they're, at, uh, they're there at the tower where Saruman has been trapped. Gandalf opposes Gimli's call to kill Saruman, saying that the wizard has no power anymore and will pose no further threat. Saruman shows himself to them in the extended version here. Gandalf shatters Saruman's staff, robbing him of his power. Grima, Wormtongue, who is still with him, stabs him with a knife. Legolas shoots Grima with an arrow, but Saruman falls to his death, landing on the spikes of a large water wheel. As they are talking, Pippin sees Saruman's palantir amongst the flotsam and is entranced by it. Gandalf quickly takes it from him and hides it under his cloak. So this is an important difference from the books as well, where not only do we get difference in the theatrical and the extended cut, where uh, Saruman just isn't in the, the theatrical cut at all. Um, in the books, uh, yeah, the the trees overthrow Isengard and whatnot, but in the books, eventually Saruman and Grima escape, and then they uh, take up the... They, they, they actually take over the Shire. They go and wage war on the Shire, um, and then they take the remaining like orcs and stuff and uh, run run over that. And then, so even though after, spoiler alert, they def like the ring is destroyed and stuff, the hobbits come back to find the Shire. Like there's like a further battles and stuff with Saruman and, and, and Grima. Um, mm. And uh, Sam leads a rebellion and overthrows Saruman um, and defeats him to take back the Shire, and then becomes elected mayor of the Shire, which nice. would be like another, like a lot more to put, add to this movie that already has many endings and whatnot, and many battles. Oh, I just realized Saruman Scaramanga. What's that? Nice, Christopher Lee in the Man with the Golden oh, Gun. Is Scaramanga. Nice. Saruman. Sauron Scaramucci. Yes. Yeah. Um, nice. So, yeah, they find this palantir, the, the old palantir that Pippin grabs. Uh, and the group rides to Edoras, where think King Theoden has prepared a large banquet to hail the victorious dead of the Battle of Hornburg. Their Eowyn shows her affection for Aragorn, which Theoden notices. He tells her that he is happy for her. Aragorn being an honorable man and the architect of the victory at Helm's Deep. Gandalf expresses to Aragorn his concerns over the quest, and Aragorn tells him to trust in what his art heart tells him that Frodo is still alive. And so we start to get this um, dynamic between especially Aragorn and Gandalf that I like, where Gandalf, he he has the wisdom and the knowledge and like the magical foresight and the whatever, um, but still has his doubts about this mission. And Aragorn has none of those things, but 
he believes and he has the heart and the he's got the he's got the king in him to yeah. know to to wage on. So I think that's I think that's a cool dynamic. Um, <clears throat> and I guess I wanted to excuse <clears throat> me talk about Aragorn here, and um, I wonder what it'd be like if Viggo Mortensen was not cast as Aragorn. Like I think he's very good in this role, but I think an important part of Aragorn's arc in these books is that he starts or these movies is that he starts as this sort of like scrappy scumbag type guy or so this kind of outcast dude that eventually like grabs hold of his mantle and becomes honorable and leads things to leads people to victory and you kind of don't get much of that reflected in Viggo Mortensen's performance I don't think even though he's doing a good job I think it's and I think it comes down to just the fact that like Viggo Mortensen can't not be cool like he is always he and and I don't know maybe it's also the way that they 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 like shot him and stuff but like he's always a cool badass he never really feel like he is on his back feet about anything mm-hmm. um or like struggling with anything really um he kind of I mean lashes out at Boromir a couple times but you don't really get the feeling like that that's really kind of like a negative thing so I kind of think that Sean Bean might have been a better Aragorn um mm. because you can because I mean I think Sean Bean's like a phenomenal actor but you would i think something about sean bean would give you a, more of a sense of like an inner struggle and turmoil to sort of like embrace his his destiny versus aragorn just like always just like looking like a, a medieval model constantly mm-hmm. um but that's just my opinion um on that one and i think people would probably be mad at me for suggesting that Viggo mortensen isn't necessarily phenomenal in this role and i do think he's great so i think they should have made gimli be the king just yeah, switch I, up the whole book. The Return of the Dwarf King. I agree. I, I would like. I would cool. like more dwarf stuff uh, in general. Uh, okay. Like the door. I think the dwarves are neat. Um, I guess we're gonna get a lot more dwarf stuff starting next week. So maybe maybe I'll regret saying that. Gollum awakes in the night as Frodo and Sam are sleeping and goes off to one side to murmur to himself. His evil half senses some doubt and Smeagol and insists that if he can murder once, like he murdered Deagle five hundred years ago. He can do it again. Gollum then begins leading Smeagol through their plan to deliver the hobbits into the clutches of Shelob and Sirith Ongol, after which the ring can be reclaimed. Sam hears the conversation and beats Gollum for his treachery. Frodo intervenes, saying that as their guide, Gollum, saying that as their guide, Gollum is necessary for their quest. Sam glowers as Gollum flashes him an evil smile while Frodo's back is turned. That same night back in Edoras, Pippin's curiosity gets the better of him, relieving a sleeping Gandalf of the Palantir he looks into it. Pippin sees a vision of a white tree in a stone courtyard set ablaze, but in doing so he was caught by Sauron and submitted to mental torture and questioning. Aragorn tries to rescue him, briefly exposing himself to Sauron. Pippin recovers from his ordeal, and it is discovered that he did not tell Sauron anything of the ring's whereabouts. From Pippin's vision of the White Tree, Gandalf deduces that Sauron is now moving to attack the great Gondorian city of Minas Tirith, and he rides off to send warning, taking Pippin with him, lest his urge to look back into the Palantir, now left in Aragorn's keeping, return again. Um, so, yeah, Merry and Pippin are, I think, the heart and soul of this movie. Um, and we get this, and they really come into their own in this movie, especially. But yeah, Pippin looks into this Palantir and gets like all all tortured and stuff. But then but then um <clears throat> yeah, basically Mary and Pippin have to have to have to break up, have to split up. And it's a really it's a really heartbreaking scene, I thought, where um Pippin doesn't really understand what's happening. Um but Mary is like, No, dude, you have to go with Gandalf and we don't know if we'll see each other again. This is this is how it goes. And Pippin's like mad at him for, for causing it and also like just sad that it's happening. He hands him the last of the weed, um, and yeah. uh, then they like take off. And Mary like rushes up the stairs to like watch Gandalf and Pippin uh, ride off away on on Shadowfax, which I, which is also I think just a funny shot where like you see this really wide shot of Gandalf. Um, he says like, "Run, Shadowfax! Show us the meaning of haste!" And he takes across, takes off across the field, like galloping as fast as he can to get to Minas Tirith. And then like there's this big open field. And there's this like river or like this creek in it, and you can you can see like you could easily 
step around the river. But it, but once again, these movies, they always just charge straight through the river. It'd be so easy to just go around the river. <laughs> but he goes straight through it. I don't know, man. It's incredibly I didn't want to be easy wet. to go. We covered this in the first movie. Incredibly <laughs> easy to go through a river. I think that. But you don't want to get wet sense. if you don't have to avoid. If you can avoid it, is my yeah. Is but my he take. said straight as an arrow. I didn't even know yeah. the horse was called Shadowfax. Yeah. What? Yeah. You meet him in the last movie, um, where he where Gandalf is like the, he's the Lord of Horses, um, which is it's I think the is, is it, it it's it's funny like. There's lore to like everything in this, but it kind of comes across funny in the movie because you don't really get into it at all. But it, especially because you're just looking at like it's just a horse, like you can't really do much to like, yeah, they don't add any like makeup or anything to it. It's like it's a horse, and and the and so like the the camera is like heroically like looking at this horse who has no idea what's going on, and like, yes, he is thousands of years old and uh is the lord of all horses and stuff that he and Gandalf are actually like. Like Shadowfax is highly intelligent and is like good friends with it with with Gandalf, and and you just you see, <laughs> just you can't really get much of anything yeah. out of that. Yeah, I didn't understand the horse stuff. There's some horse stuff that happens later on where the horses disappear that I take issue with as well. Oh yes, yeah. Um, I did not notice that. Zoe called noticed that though. Yeah. Um. So leaving Rivendell on her way to the Undying Lands, Arwen has a vision of their son, that uh, of her and Aragorn's son. She realizes that her father lied to her when he said that she and Aragorn had no future together. She returns to Rivendell and convinces Elrond that he has that having forsaken the life of the Elder, she cannot leave Aragorn now. She tells her father that, as foretold, the time to reforge Narsil has come which is the sword of Elendil and the birthright of the true heir of Isildur, the man who used the sword to cut off the one ring from Sauron's hand. And so they begin to reforge uh, the dang, the dang sword. Gandalf and Pippin arrive at Minas Tirith, the city of Kings that was built out of the rock of whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, Very cool city design. I think the miniatures and like the general, I I think that, yeah, I think the miniatures and the sets look a lot better in this movie than they did in Two Towers. Um, Minas Tirith is awesome design. There, Pippin recognizes the white tree as they go to find the steward Denethor. They approach him as he mourns over Boromir, his son. Pippin swears loyalty to him in recompense for Boromir's sacrifice. Denethor seems to be caught up in his grief and has not taken measures to fortify the city against the threat of Sauron. Um, and so this is not in the movies, but I think it is, I don't know. So apparently, so Denethor has another Palantir in the books, um, mm-hmm. and so he has been communicating with Sauron, and so he, he, um, he. That's why he knows like Boromir died, um, um, and, and and all this stuff, and that's also why he's so depressed because uh, Sauron is basically convinc- convincing him through, I mean, pretty convincing. I mean, I don't know. He's convinced that there's they're, they're super doomed, and everybody else kind of thinks it too. Like Gandalf thinks that they're kind of screwed, but uh, but Denethor like especially thinks so because uh, Sauron's like I don't constantly telling him, yeah, dude, I'm gonna like absolutely wreck you, um, and stuff like that. And so that's why that kind of help. I feel like that kind of helps like explain a little bit more of his behavior, like why he's, um. Like why he doesn't want to master defenses at all or anything. Like it's not just like grief over Boromir. It's like he thinks that they're like there's literally no point to any of this. <clears throat> um, and so, meanwhile, Frodo, Sam, and Gollum arrive at Minas Morgul. Weary of the enemy, they locate the winding stair leading the path of Sirith Ungol that lies hidden in the cliffs surrounding the accursed city. Which I don't really, I don't know about that. I guess that there's just like this extra city where the Nazgul and stuff live. Um, just at that moment, the doors of the city open and the Witch King of Angmar, leader of the Nazgul, dispatches his immense orc army from his lair, heading, heralding the start of the war. The outpouring of the army is witnessed by Gandalf and Pippin as a flash of lightning shoots up at the opening of the doors. With the urging of Gandalf, Pippin lights the first of the beacon signals to Edoras, alerting Theoden, Aragorn, and the rest of the Rohirrim to muster at Dunharrow and thence to Minas Tirith. Um, and so yeah, there's this like, light the beacons type stuff that Denethor 
doesn't want to light the beacons, but Gandalf is like, all right, Pippin, go light that beacon. And he sneaks up, lights the beacon. And I always, I always wish that my job was growing up, like to uh, camp out at one of the beacons on a mountaintop and like wait for it to get lit up. And so I could signal the next next beacon. There's a cool montage through the mountains that I think is, is neat. Yeah. I wish we still did that. Yeah, didn't beacon have stuff. Walkie talkies now. Where you and I would have to do the podcast by beacon. Yeah. Yeah. Now we have to do it with Nextel chirps instead <laughs> across the mountains. Were those the phones where like the cell phones where it's also it's walkie you, get, talkie. you get a walkie talkie? Yeah. Yeah. That's why it does the you go. Boop, boop. Uh, wait, what's that place called? I can't remember. Uh, uh Minas Tirith. Yeah. Boop, boop. Yeah. Uh, Minister's in trouble. Minister's in trouble. Yeah. Uh, uh, trouble. Gondor calls for raid. Gondor yeah. calls for raid. Gondor calls for raid. Over. Yeah. Uh, the beacons are lit. Um, so, yes. Here we go. As they leave Edoras, Aragorn notices that Eowyn saddles up with them and that she is... <laughs> this, this one says that she is girt with a sword. Um, that she's good with the sword but she insists that she rides only to see them off and that the men have found their captain in aragorn um and so we do i guess in the extended cut we do get a we do get a number more of more scenes with aragorn and eowyn where as in the theatrical cut um the, the extended edition does hint at more of a love triangle between aragorn eowyn and arwen versus mm-hmm. the theatrical cut where you get definitely get more of a just an unrequited love uh, uh, dynamic, I would say. Mm. Like you, in the, the the theatrical cut cuts all scenes where Aragorn is like showing any interest in Eowyn. Mm. Um, and so I don't know which one I prefer more. I think the I think the unrequited love version is actually a little bit stronger um, because you, it's not really believable w- when Aragorn is like into Eowyn. Really? Like, I don't think that that really makes a lot of sense. Mm. But I don't know. You sort of see the, the tension of like, should I be with a moral or an immoral? Or whatever. The Morgul army crosses Anduin, Osgiliath, and makeshift boats and engages with a Gondorian contingent led by Boromir's brother Faramir. The orcs prove too strong and drive the Gondorians out of Osgiliath. Faramir and his few surviving men retreat to Minas Tirith, pursued by the Nazgul. Gandalf, riding out to meet the retreating men, ward them off, saving Faramir. Upon his arrival, Faramir, who met Frodo, Sam, and Gollum in Ithilien just before they headed for the mountain pass into Mordor, tells Gandalf of the dangerous route Gollum is taking Frodo and Sam on, convincing Gandalf of Gollum's treachery. The hobbits, led by Gollum, are struggling to climb the extremely steep stairs. Gollum also reaches out and empathizes with Frodo, saying that he understands his pain. Gollum also poisons Frodo against Sam, saying that Sam will try to take the ring from Frodo. In the captured Osgiliath, the Witch King orders his captain to send forth all legions and annihilate the population of Minas Tirith, saying that he himself will break the wizard Gandalf. Denethor, ill-pleased by Faramir's failed defense of Osgiliath, manipulates him into taking a doomed ride to reclaim the city. Gollum continues to play with the Hobbit to play the Hobbits against each other, this time blame, blaming Sam for eating their food provisions. Frodo, in his deluded state, is suspicious of Sam and orders him back home when Sam, trying to be helpful, offers to carry the ring, thereby fulfilling Gollum's cunning prediction. Faramir rides headlong into the arrows of the encamped orcs as Pippin sings for Denethor, who unconcernedly eats his noon meal. Faramir's attack fails, and Faramir is dragged back back by his horse in a death-like coma. So yeah, we get Frodo sending Sam away. Um... And uh, also, like, what how does it happen? Does Gollum, like, push Sam or something? But he, like, falls. Or he just slips and falls eventually. And, like, he falls so far. <laughs> yeah. Lands on the rocks. Um, really hardcore. And Gollum's being sneaky. He is sneaking. And Frodo, I, I want... Frodo's not... Or Elijah Wood isn't really given a ton to do. I no. would say I think that, like I I I remain annoyed with Frodo throughout the, the this whole series. Like I get that he's going through a lot. Um, he's, I mean, I, there's only so much you can do though. I think with the material and 
with the performance just looks like yeah the it really sucks to have the ring and it's getting worse and worse and worse and so like every time we look at you you're gonna have a harder and harder time like thinking acting dealing with anything and so like all elijah wood can do mostly is just oh no (laughs) and that's it yeah (laughs) and so you really are leaning on Sean Astin in a lot of these scenes to do the heavy lifting um, and eventually literally heavy lifting uh, to like, I'm trying not to say, but also carry the scenes, I guess. Um, and I think Sean Astin does a really, really good job. And I don't know, Elijah Wood, you can only do so much, I suppose. Yeah. But Sean Astin rocks. Uh, yeah, and so yeah, Denethor sends Faramir back to his death, basically, um, and that's when Pippin eats. Or so not Pippin eats. That's when Pippin sings. Billy Boyd sings that song, that lo- the hope shall fade joint, which is very good, in my opinion. That's a really good scene. Um, that when Denethor is eating tomatoes like an absolute freak, he's like eat- he's eat- he like picks up like a small tomato and like bites into half of it, lets yeah. it like dribble down his chin, like. You gotta be, you gotta be one shot in that, bro. You gotta be putting that whole tomato in your mouth at once. You can't just be letting that dribble on, dribble on you like that. Yeah, Denethor sucks. Uh, John Noble twitchy ass face. Does a good job. Um, so let's see. We'll get, yeah, we'll go a little bit further for this episode. At the weapon take at Dunharrow. What does that mean? They're camping. Aragorn and uh, Rohan folks are camping. And a, sl- and a hooded figure slowly rides on a white horse along the winding road to the encampment in the hills. The figure reveals himself to Aragorn as Elrond. He presents Aragorn with, with his birthright, the newly reforged sword Narsil, now named Anduril, Flame of the West. Yeah, the swords get different different names <laughs> that are distinct, yeah. but we still got Smeagol and Deagle, um, the Flame of the West. And so, yeah, we get more and more of this, like, defend the West men of the west type stuff yeah um they do say it pretty the, explicitly yeah like that that fi- that final speech everyone gives is really i don't he literally know literally does I, say you, like defend the west <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um you can see why some some, some on the the, the alt right have really r- really liked some parts of this movie <laughs> and stuff um which i think is too bad why does it have to be about the West? It could just be about something else, about the good stuff. But yeah, it, it does it does poison some of the the more triumphant parts of this movie. Uh, so yeah, the flame of the West. He urges Aragorn to use this sword to recall the dead men of Dunharrow and use their allegiance to the to the heir of Isildur, i.e., Aragorn, to stop the attack of the Corsairs' ships, which are already sailing from the south. Aragorn accepts this counsel and rides off that very night into the Dimholt, along with Legolas and Gimli. As he is preparing to go, a tearful Eowyn comes to Aragorn and begs him not to go, declaring her love for him. But Aragorn, knowing now that Arwen has refused to promise, has ref, has refused the promise of Valinor, likewise refuses Eowyn's love. The next morning, Theoden rides off to war with six thousand riders, unaware that Eowyn and Merry, who were both told to remain behind by the king, are part of his army. So yeah. Both Mary and Eowyn are like, I want to fight. And Theoden's like, no, to each of them. You're you're too short and you're too girl, he says um, to each of them. And they they fight nonetheless. Um, so let's do... Wait, who's that guy who talks to them? Which guy? Oh, Elrond? No. Who's the Theoden? guy who looks like the... Who's the Post Malone looking dude? <laughs> Is it Theoden? The king? No, not the king. The king's sidekick, dude. That's what I'm talking about. Carl Urban, Aomer. His name's the horse Aomer. The, it's the like the the. King. I got a question about him later on. Car, let me look up this guy, Carl Urban. I don't know which one looks like Post Malone. Uh, it's them... like a young young guy. Oh yeah, yeah, it's the Carl Urban guy. Okay, Aomer. Yeah. Aomer. Uh huh. Aomer. That's his name. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How do you even spell E-O-M-E-R. it? E O M E R. E O M E R. Yeah. E O M E R. Yeah, this is the post Malone looking dude. Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. 
You don't see the similarity? Uh, I guess so. I guess I can see it. Okay. He's in the boys. He's 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 good. He's good in the boys. He's he's Judge Dredd too. Oh, okay. I like him. Oh, he is interesting. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I don't understand this guy. I had no idea. This is probably the most main character whose name I couldn't figure out the whole time. Oh yeah, they don't really say it that much. But he's in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, and he and he has the the secret best kill in the in the whole in the whole series. I think he like one shots two massive elephants later. Yeah, um, the it's like a, he's he's a, he's a lunch pail uh, warrior. He he shows up to the game and um, none of this none of this hip hop style uh, Legolas type stuff where um, he's he's being flashy in the yeah. in the end zone or anything. Um, he just he, he shows up ready to play and just throws a spear and takes out two elephants and that's my take. Yeah, defend the West, by the way. That, yeah, he's uh, the person who says that, I believe, right? No, I don't think. Does oh he? no, that's the king. Maybe that's Aragorn. Oh yeah, I mean maybe I don't know whoever. A, I'm gonna guess it's somebody named A. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. My favorite character in this is Dude, yeah. I can't imagine. I don't even know how to spell these things. That so that one confused me a little bit when you said E. Eomer. Yeah. It's like a, there's an accent on it, I think, too. Aragon. Erwin. There is not an Ar- there. Aramark. There's Aragorn. <laughs> Aragorn. I, there's, but there's not There's not an Aragon. I think that might be added <laughs> Who's confusion. the main guy, then? Aragon. Aragorn. Aragorn, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aragorn. Aomer. Aowin. Aomer. Who's the most Arwin. Arwin. No, no. So post Malone guy is Aomer. A- <laughs> a- okay, okay. Let's start from the beginning. Aragorn. Yes. Aowen. Aowen is yeah the the woman Elf who, lady? who fights. No, no, the yeah who who nobody cares about. Okay. A-mer, Wrong. A-mer. I care deeply for Aowen. Aomer. Aomer is post Malone. Who's the elf lady? Arwen. Arwen. <laughs> Do you have something in your mouth? <laughs> I'm immediately forgetting the names as soon as they've been said. Yeah, you're do you're I I do you are trying very hard though. You're doing I've a much a better good at this job with this. You series. are do, yes, <laughs> you're doing better at this than a 90 minute movie. Way better than I thought you would. Yes, with like yeah. five characters. Right. Yeah, you're doing tr- a really good job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, I think we should we should we should cut this episode here because yeah. we're about to get into the, um, the 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 siege of Minas Tirith, and I think that's a good place to yeah uh, to to pick up. So we're gonna go do that on patreoncom slash Skeleton and kind of wrap up our discussion of Return of the King. So thanks everybody for listening. We'll catch you over there on the Patreon.